Welcome to the Shine Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Kunarian, and I am so grateful that you are here. I'm a wife, mother of three boys, certified massage therapist, and an alcohol-free sobriety coach who helps driven women break through their alcohol dependency without the traditional 12-step program. Each week, I will bring you inspiring guests with focus on mindset, health, and spirituality, providing you the tips and tools to help you create unshakable confidence, clarity, and energy so you can unleash your creative potential and live the life of your dreams alcohol-free. So tune in for some fun, and if you are ready to shine, welcome. Hello, beautiful listeners. I have some exhilarating news that I'm thrilled to share with you all. Are you ready to ignite that inner spark of confidence and embrace a life brimming with vitality? Whether you're pondering a life without alcohol, taking those first empowering steps into sobriety, or looking for rejuvenation post-alcohol, I have the perfect occasion lined up for you. So mark your calendars for September 25th at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and prepare to dive into a transformative day with my Revive and Thrive Academy. This is the haven for incredible women just like you, eager to rediscover and celebrate their true selves beyond the bottle. And in honor of National Recovery Month, this day promises to be nothing short of spectacular. As always, I will be right by your side, cheering you on and guiding you every step of the way. Now, for those tantalizing details and updates on what's in store, make sure you follow me on Instagram at shine underscore Gina Kunarian, or you can find me on Facebook. I promise you, you won't want to miss out on the buzz and behind the scenes peaks. Don't forget to check the show notes to find the link where you can follow me. Welcome, dear listeners, to another exciting episode. Today, we are privileged to have Crystal Fideli with us, a beacon of hope in the realm of recovery. Crystal's journey with alcohol is both inspiring and transformative. From being fired by her therapist to discovering her own path to healing, she brings forth a new perspective that emphasizes personal goals, empowerment, and the significant power of forgiveness. Whether you're on a journey to recovery or just seeking an uplifting story of resilience and termination, this episode promises to enlighten and inspire. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Shine Within podcast. I have here Crystal Fideli. She is an international alcohol recovery coach for women who are ready to reclaim their power over alcohol so they can finally be free to create a life they absolutely love, one where they look forward to each and every day. Through coaching services and speaking, Crystal helps women learn all the different paths to treatment available to them, discover their goals, not other people's goals, but their goals with alcohol, pick the path of treatment that best aligns with their goals with alcohol, connect them with what they need to accomplish their goals and forgive all those who cause them harm along their journey of fighting to heal so they can finally be free. Crystal has an MA in research and analysis, an MA in child advocacy and policy with a child public welfare concentration and 10 plus years of experience working in the trauma and addiction recovery field. She is obsessed with helping her clients all around the world reclaim their power over alcohol. Thank you so much, Crystal, for joining me today. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And so I've struggled a lot with alcohol and it... I think it's, I'm going to hit my sobriety date, I think, uh, next month, <laughs> six, six years now, six years since wow. I've had alcohol. So, but awesome. it was very, I had some challenges, you know, 
first off, I didn't even admit I was an alcoholic until many years deep inside my alcoholism. So I remember going to my my brother's house for Thanksgiving and I was getting the shakes and everything and because I, I didn't have any alcohol in my system and I was feeling very sick. And I told my mom, mom, can you go get ahead and give me some alcohol real quick? She's like, no, you're not drinking. I said, please give me some alcohol. I'm going to like literally pass out if I don't have it. Nobody knew I had a problem because I kept it a big secret. Now, mind you, I was drinking one fifth of vodka a day in order to function. Mine was so severe that I needed to go through a proper detox. Otherwise, I'd die. So that was a, in 2014 was on Thanksgiving was the day that I actually said, OK, I need help. But I went to go get help and I did this 30 day program. And of course, we did the meetings there. There was like, you know, people coming in because they had AA meetings there. And, you know, I met some awesome people. Everything was great. But what did I do after those 30 days? Literally hour, like not even an hour, 30 minutes after I went to go drink at the casino. So <laughs> immediate relapse. And I had tried this over and over and over again, but no result because I was in like, that was like inside of what they say, going around and around, not getting anything done is the same thing over and over again. So I tried AA, I've tried the 12 steps. I had a sponsor. It just didn't work. So I would love for you to share me your background story when it comes to alcohol and how you decided, you know what, alcohol is not for me anymore. And how do you help others with that process as well? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me share my story. So yeah, so basically, um, well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story with me. Um, I'm honored that you shared all that. And um, yeah, so basically for me, you know, I started drinking just because it was this socially normal, culturally normal thing to do, right? College parties, drinking games, and they were really fun. I'm not going to lie. Um, and so I just started drinking alcohol just you know, because it was just normal to do. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years in, a few years in, I started to notice that alcohol started to wreak havoc in my life, personally, socially, relationally, on my career and on my health and just more. And I lost a job because of it. I was kicked out of a prestigious university and there's so many more stories I could tell, but I won't go rehash those. And so, you know, I, I sought help kind of like you were saying, you sought help and, you know, I sought help from therapy, from my pastor, from support groups such as AA and celebrate recovery. Um, I sought help from, uh, I went up to the front of church after church service for prayer. I prayed and journaled begging God for the answer. Um, I had an accountability partner. Oh my gosh. I really just tried any and everything and any and everyone just had one answer and one answer only. And that was that if I could not moderate my drinking through sheer willpower, um, then that just meant that I needed to abstain from alcohol and that I had to do it for the rest of my life. And when I wasn't able to, it was because well, that was just my choice. It was my fault. I didn't care enough about my career. I didn't care enough about those around me. I didn't care enough about my community and society at large, right? Because I mean, alcohol does put others at risk around you, including you, um, because you do things when you are drunk out of your mind that aren't really safe. Um, so anyways, so, but that just meant that I didn't care, right? I didn't necessarily want to get better. I liked drinking more than anything, according to them. And so I really, I tried like earnestly for nearly a decade 
to just abstain from alcohol. And there were times where I was able to for, you know, stretches of time. However, eventually I gave into those strong cravings and obsessive thoughts for alcohol that would come at, you know, right when I woke up and then, you know, a half hour later and then 20 minutes later, and then maybe I'd get an hour and a half, but then they'd be a couple minutes apart. Like it was just all day, every day, strong cravings and obsessive thoughts for alcohol. And when I eventually picked up drinking again, it's what in research we call the alcohol deprivation effect. Um, I picked up drinking just like when I stopped, like, it's like a, no time has, no time had lapsed. I just picked up right where I left off drinking just as much. It didn't take me a couple days to start drinking as much as, um, I was when I originally, you know, had put it down. I just was right back where I was. And I just lived that way for nearly a decade. One day I was really desperate. I mean, as if I already wasn't desperate enough, I, I don't know why I say that, but I I really was, I was even more desperate and it was right after I had my first daughter and I was just researching this topic and I came across a Ted talk and the speaker had claimed to have found the cure to alcoholism. And I thought that this was way too good to be true. I'm so I'm just like, this is too good to be true. I totally discounted it. And then eventually I became really desperate again, as if I wasn't already desperate enough, but you know, and so I'm like, you know what self, (laughs) I could not try this and it certainly won't work for me. If I do try it though, it might work for me. Right. And so that sounds like it would be my happily ever after, but it wasn't. I went to my family doctor because I needed a certain medication to do this. And I went to my family doctor and I told them everything. I just basically told you what I was suffering from, how long it had been happening, um, how I just had been failing miserably. And Hey, look, I came across this and here's the research on it. And I'd like to try it. And basically that doctor's answer was to (laughs) counsel me into keeping a drink log and counsel me into, Hey, like, well, after you have one or two, you know, that's enough. Just, you know, stop. And I'm just like, I just told you that I haven't been able to do that. And so I insisted on speaking to a doctor that was a little bit higher up. And so the clinical director of the practice came in and basically told me that she thought I was trying to go through the back door for treatment. Um, and then I went to another doctor and that doctor basically told me that I was trying to be a doctor and treat myself. (laughs) I mean, these are like such rude comments that they had for me, but, and then another doctor's office just refused to prescribe me the medication and eventually told me to get out. And at that point I was just really obviously discouraged. And because also at the time I was a single mother and I was as single as a single mother could be, um, my daughter's father, her bio father, um, basically said when I was, when I found out I was having her, um, if I went through with my pregnancy that I'd be on my own. And so obviously I went through with my pregnancy. She's my baby and I was on my own. And, um, I had also had a very, uh, traumatic childhood. And so I did not have any family in my life. So I was really like as single as a single mother could be. Hence why I started my nonprofit, which is separate from what we're talking about here, (laughs) but, um, to help single moms who can't afford basic necessities. But, um, so, so yeah, so basically I, 
robbed Peter to pay Paul. I found a doctor um, who would prescribe me the medication, but he didn't take my insurance. He didn't take any insurance at the time. And uh, so I robbed Peter to pay Paul, right? I took from my rent money and I paid this doctor because I was so desperate and um, it was a big sacrifice, but I, I needed what I needed. And, um, and I, uh, I got the medication I needed very easily and I just kind of got the medication and I was just on my own to now figure it out from there. And, um, this is where my miracle happened literally within two to three months, I was completely better. Um, my, I call them episodes. I'm not sure what you <laughs> called them, but just episodes where mm-hmm. I drank way too much and did something that wreaked havoc on my life that I mentioned before earlier when I was talking, um, had become less frequent, you know, it, it was every other day to maybe twice a week, then to once a week, then once every couple weeks. And then at the two month mark, I had one more episode, um, but from from there on out, if I wanted to drink alcohol, I literally had my drink and I was done. And sometimes I just had a couple of sips and I didn't even want any more, um, you know, because I know some people they drink just because to get like drunk or whatever. I personally do like a nice glass of red wine or a cold one watching football. Um, so I do actually enjoy certain um, drinks, but, um, but I was able to do it. And I, it was just so crazy. It was like an out of body experience being able to witness myself not want to even finish my drinks. Um, so anyways, it was just crazy. And then eventually, you know, I, just lost all desire for alcohol just and it's just so different like right now I'm not drinking at all just because honestly I it I I don't want to it it is a poison at the end of the day um and I just feel you know I feel like that's what I want to do right now and I have no obsessive thoughts I have no cravings and when I'm around alcohol there's absolutely no temptation I don't even realize I don't even notice that I don't want it other than to notice that I'm not even noticing and if and when I want to enjoy a drink again right because God Jesus turned water into wine God gave us alcohol to enjoy just like chocolate cake um but you know now I know what I need to be able to enjoy alcohol so that's kind of my story um you know the way I found really enabled me to just have my life have my life back I started my business obviously to help other women reclaim their power over alcohol and, uh, you know, all the troubleshooting I had to do and the wrinkles that I had to iron out. Um, cause like I told you, like I just got my stuff and I was on my own. Of course there were things that came up, um, but at least I was able to work through them unlike before. And so now I help other women. Um, I connect them with the people that will give them what they need. And, um, you know, I really just, am, I walk them through every single step of the way so they don't have to figure it out on their own, um, so yeah, so yeah. and I started my nonprofit and the biggest thing is that I'm a present wife to my mom and kids, you know. So that's the biggest thing is, you know, my my kids. So yeah, and I was mentioning this to you earlier. Um I mean that's a beautiful story by the way. I really I really enjoy that and that's awesome. Like just to wean off and not even have the craving for it. That's like mm-hmm. miracle, seriously. No, but quick question, was this uh medication that they gave you was this the one from the TEDx that you're watching yes it was the medication that she mentioned do you know what the title is of that TEDx 
oh, what is it called? The <laughs> I know it's Claudia Christian. Um, I forget. You just have to uh, yeah. YouTube, YouTube Claudia because, Christian. So I'm 41, but when I was 22 years old, I had a best friend and she was an alcoholic. This is before I really started getting heavy in my drinking. I was just like starting off because her and I would always like go and hang out and then drink somewhere and get wasted and do stupid stuff. But um, she was going to go ahead and she was going to take some medic medication that actually made her feel like nauseous if she were to sip alcohol. Is that the yeah, same kind antibuse. of medication? Oh, okay. Yes. That's yes. antabuse. Is it the same yeah. medication? That, okay. Oh, absolutely not. And oh, antabuse, okay. I am so fundamentally against antabuse. <laughs> <laughs> what is antabuse? Yeah, because that's what she so was talking antibuse about. antabuse is one of the medications that you can take and basically... If alcohol is introduced into your system, you get like violently ill. So it just punishes you further for having a neurochemical disorder that is not even your fault in the first place. And it doesn't take care of the strong cravings and obsessive thoughts. It's it's really, I think, inhumane. Um, it is one of the three FDA approved medications to treat alcohol use disorder, but I don't agree with it at all, as you can tell. <laughs> but do we really trust the FDA first and foremost? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well. <laughs> so yeah, I can see exactly where you're coming from because you you saw doctors, you saw therapists, you saw, you know, multiple people and sought help. However, they were just closing the door on you saying, hey, nope, sorry. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Oh, well, he got a day to talk. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, seriously. Yes, I do actually. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is actually um, the topic of uh, research that I am very interested in. So what I think it is, is I think it has to do with, have you ever heard of the theory of first dimension? No, never. <laughs> this is something that we are taught Um it's just ingrained in our culture that people abuse alcohol because they are trying to cope with stress. Um, they are trying to cope with a trauma. They are trying to self-medicate for a mental health disorder. This is what we are taught from the time we know anything about this subject. It's, mm -hmm. it's look at the movies. I mean, this is what the movies try to teach us inadvertently. And, um, and so we, and we also are simultaneously told that, okay, so, so, so basically that means this is a behavioral issue. This is a choice, right? They don't portray it from a standpoint of truth, probably because they don't know, hence my work, right? Um, that it is a disorder of somebody's neurochemistry. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, I call it a neurochemical disorder, just like somebody like my good friend who was born with a disorder, um, disordered, like inner ear. I don't know all the terminology for this, but she has to wear a hearing aid because it's, there's some kind of disorder going on with the makeup of her inner ear that she just needs a medical intervention, some kind of assistance, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, thank God we have it. So she can hear, you know, I mean, I appreciate it and I want her to hear when I'm talking because I talk a lot, you know, but um, anyway, no. And so basically it's the same thing with somebody who has alcohol use disorder. It's just, it's just a, um, a disorder of somebody's neurochemistry. And I can get into all the science if you want me to kind of describe what the research has uncovered when it comes to that. Um, yeah. But, and so we think it's somebody's fault 
And so we, whatever we misdiagnose, we're going to mistreat, right? And so we're told that it's, if you can't moderate through sheer willpower, you have to be abstinent. (laughs) You have to be sober through sheer willpower. And if you pick up that next drink, it's just because you don't care. Kind of like what I described in my story, you know, earlier. And, and we just, and then I think cognitive dissonance comes into play that even friends of mine, oh my gosh, I had a um, conversation with one of my really good friends a few weeks ago about this. And she saw me suffer for nearly 10 years under this ideology that I just described. She also saw me uh, when I found the alternative way, well, not the alternative way, there's multiple different alternative ways, but um, you know, the ones that I tried and she saw me get better in two to three months and she's seen me be better ever since. And then she saw me go on to earn two master degrees where I actually studied the research and the science behind it. Something that a lot of people don't like to do because it is very dense to read research, but um, I love it mm-hmm. and conducted my own research. And she still um, is so committed to this belief, um, the, this ideology so I think it's a little bit of theory of first mention paired with cognitive dis- dissonance. So. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you want to get to the root cause, like you were mentioning before, the root cause of why are we drinking? What are we trying to mask within ourselves? Now, I just wanted to get your ideas uh, as far as what are some reasons why people are masking and how do you particularly help them? Yeah, definitely. So I don't think it's a masking in terms of um, trying to, you know, mask pain or, you know, anything like that. Now, let me preface this with somebody could pick up a drink because, I don't know, uh, a loved one has passed away or they had a bad day at work or, you know, whatever. Yes. They could initially like, let's take my husband and I, right. So I have alcohol use disorder. It's in remission, but, um, I I do have that diagnosis. He does not, right. If we don't get any kind of assistance and we both pick up alcohol, I'm going to full-fledged addiction. He's not because he doesn't have this. Right. And, um, so basically, um, Somebody might, you know, go to alcohol for those reasons. However, the very nature of the fact that I'm not going to be able to stop drinking without any kind of assistance with from anything, and the fact that he can if he wants to, that's how you know that it doesn't matter why somebody started. It's culturally normal, just like it's culturally normal to have a piece of chocolate cake. Um, but the fact that somebody can't stop and then, you know, the next day or a couple days, you know, into doing this, um, you know, you're going to, I'm going to get obsessive thoughts and cravings while he's over there completely fine, not even thinking about it and won't even think about it until a couple months down the road when we go out for a date night again, right? That's the difference is that for me, it's neurochemical. It's a disorder. So basically my brain, my alcohol use disorder brain, um, when it has alcohol introduced to it, it just pushes way more endorphins than someone like my husband. And so for me, like one of the major things that I use is medication assisted treatment. And so what it does is it Um, while my brain is pushing all these endorphins, the medication sits on the receptor sites and it doesn't receive the messages, you know, coming from like the endorphins. I'm trying to explain this as best as I can. So 
I am not, I'm sorry, my brain is not receiving any of those messages. And so it's just me and the alcohol, just like my husband is just him and the alcohol. So the medication just kind of gives me that crutch. I need to be able to be normal. For me, I think I was just like hiding stuff. I was just like from childhood trauma and then didn't really realize I was like doing things like here, I was getting into bad relationships, you know, and then I got into alcohol and then I kind of had had that lifestyle. My husband, my first husband was a DJ. We were going out. And so it was more like a, from social to habitual to dependency, because I felt in my mind that it made me more confident and I wanted that confidence. And that's what I struggled with because I, I had very low self-esteem. I thought I was ugly. I thought I was just like, Bleh. and so, but the alcohol made me feel like I can defeat the world. I can do everything great, but it really just destroyed my life. So I actually may have what you were talking about, you know, like, cause it made me feel good, you know, and it's kind of like you were wanting more, you're getting more cravings for it as well. But then it became a necessity where I couldn't even drive literally without drinking. That sounds horrible, but it's, it's true. I couldn't drive. Um, so what kind of process do you take your clients through? Uh, so that way they can reclaim their power. Yeah, totally. And no shame here. I mean, I used to literally drink while I was driving too. So there's no shame in it. I I mean, it's not good, you know, but I'm just saying, don't feel like you're alone in that boat. Um, can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can ask me. Oh, and by the way, also, I wanted to say that I can't believe that you thought you weren't beautiful. That's crazy. I think you are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, you're so uh, kind. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I used to feel that way too. I also had a very traumatic childhood. Um, I was, yeah, I was abused in all kinds of stuff, physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I totally get the whole childhood trauma thing. There was actually even a point where I felt like I couldn't walk out of my house and feel okay. Like I felt I was so ugly and fat and it's so crazy. Cause now after having two kids, I'm like, wow, I thought that was fat. That was actually really nice. <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah. So I guess, could I, I want to just ask you a question. Do you think if you had a drink today, do you think that you would just be able to enjoy a drink and it wouldn't, you wouldn't go into full-fledged addiction? If I would have a drink today, I would probably throw up because of the taste. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll tell you what happened. One time um, I went over to a party and then someone had made tiramisu and I mm. guess they actually drenched a lot of alcohol in it and I was eating mm. it and I felt so sick and I didn't yeah, realize okay. like, what was it? I'm like, oh, must be <laughs> like my body right. was literally rejecting it. Now this is from prayer as well. I had actually literally prayed in my car while throwing up before work. God help me. I don't want to live like this anymore. And my prayer got answered like two weeks later. I had pancreatitis, had to go to the hospital. I went to a faith-based hospital, which is kind of crazy because I, I don't know why the Lord led me there. <laughs> and so, um, but then I got better because I detoxed there. They were giving me IV and I was on a special diet, liquid only for the pancreas to heal it. And that was the day I decided like my last day leaving. Yeah, but about to re um, discharge me. I was like, you know what? I'm done with alcohol because I was thinking about my kids. I'm like, you know what? My kids deserve a mom. <laughs> they deserve a mother. We only have one. And how selfish of me to go ahead and just drink, drink, drink just for my satisfaction and not even think about 
the ch- my children. You know what I mean? So I was just like, that's it. So I went back home. There was vodka waiting for me, but I chugged that thing in the garbage right away. I just threw it away. And then that was it. And then I started my whole new life, my whole transformation. I started not hanging around with people that I was hanging out with anymore. I started serving more, trying to like learn more about spirituality, you know, all these different things. And it just changed my life. Like, yeah. And it, it's just been getting better and better and better since it's been out of my my system and out of my head too. <laughs> yeah. So you, you had the tiramisu and you noticed that it was kind of drenched in alcohol. I'm Italian. I love tiramisu. So um, bad. I know, me too. <laughs> So, and then that kind of led you to want like the vodka at your house, you said? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't want anything. Oh. I was sick to my stomach. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. That, that made me want to throw up. I was like so nauseous and like literally the taste of it after a while. <laughs> Cause I was like, maybe it's supposed to taste like this. this is yeah. And then I asked, they're like, oh, no, this is all. I'm like, oh. But I was already feeling sick before they even told me about it. I was like, my body okay. was rejecting it. Yeah. Okay. Nice. There's a particular reason why you asked me that question. Do people normally would then go towards alcohol and that would be like a trigger? Like, oh, I want more. Or what do you think people would be doing in my situation if they didn't get? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it all depends on the person. But I was just wondering because I know you were talking about the bottle of vodka and wanted (laughs) to clarify. um, I mean, there's I mean, yes, the tiramisu is made with alcohol, um, but it's, it's so like minute. So, I mean, I guess it could happen and that could, you know, trigger somebody's brain to then, you know, want more and more and more. Um, but yeah, I was just wondering if you did have another drink today, um, like if it didn't, if it wasn't so repulsive and stuff, um, that you're, that it is for you now, I was just wondering if you think that you would go back into full-fledged addiction or, or not. I don't, yeah, it doesn't even occur to me to even have like a drink. Yeah. It's like out of my mind completely. It's just like, you know, okay. but like out of my mind where like, I don't see myself drinking period. You yeah. know, it's just like me. I don't mind people drinking in front of me. I have no problem. You can do whatever they want. Like it's fine. And I also coach on it too. So <laughs> just yeah. like yourself, you know, and then, so it doesn't bother mm-hmm. me talking about or anything. I don't get like triggered in my head. It's just, um, it's something that I'm just like, oh, I don't need it. It's good. I'm I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So back to the question when it talks about reclaiming <laughs> your power the power for your clients. What kind of process do you actually yeah. take them through? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, the first step is just you know, sharing all the different paths to treatment that exist. I mean, if you tell somebody who was like you or me at that level of suffering from alcohol wreaking havoc in their lives. And, you know, especially those who have only been exposed to AA, which I have no problem with AA just as a disclaimer. I just want to put that out there. If it works for you and you are truly happy with it, like as from one person who suffered from this to another, I'm so freaking happy for you. And I know that it doesn't work for 99% of people, according to the data, because we have a 99% failure rate truly helping those who suffer from alcohol wreaking havoc in their lives to gain total power over alcohol. And so that's where my heart is, is with the 99%. And then for the people who are in the whole um, sober abstinence, um, you know, path through sheer willpower 
and they're truly not free and they're truly not happy. They're just doing it because they they think that's the only way. So like, that's my whole thing. And so, um, so yeah, I just tell that, like, if you tell them that you can moderate, it's like, no, I can't. My life is going to be right where I was, you know, when I was drinking, it's because they don't understand that there's, it's not through sheer willpower that you do it. You can't do it through sheer willpower. Yes. If you pick up a drink and through sheer willpower, try to moderate, yes, you will be back right where you were. There are other, you know, paths to treatment or excuse me, recovery, um, that are more than available. It's, I mean, you just have to, you know, know, because it's so underground, you have to know who's actually going to, you know, support you in that. Like I, I never told you, but at that two month mark in my story, my therapist of five years, uh, fired me as a client. Um, remember I told you at the two month mark, I had one more episode. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And she literally fired me when I had that last episode, like therapy, where you're supposed to go and share all the crap that's really going on in your life. And I shared that to her and she just didn't agree with my approach. Uh, Little did she know, I guess that I would have literally no more episodes after that, you know, one time, but she just, the reason she gave was she didn't agree with my approach because she just is so committed to the AA sobriety through sheer willpower model. So anyways, that was the case with that. But anyways, so yeah, you tell somebody that there's another way and that you can moderate. It's just so foreign to them. So I present all the paths to treatment. There's sobriety or abstinence. There's moderation. There's moderation to abstinence. I mean, 40% of people uh, who go the moderation route actually become abstinent because they're literally not attracted to the alcohol anymore. It's just, it becomes disgusting to them. Um, with, but you need to, you know, have certain, you know, interventions to be able for that to happen for your brain to actually be able to literally do that. So that's the first step is presenting all the options for treatment. The second step is really helping the person discover what their goals are with alcohol. And it sounds crazy, but it's actually the most hardest, most difficult step because, and that's why I say like their goals, not anyone else's goals, their goals with alcohol, like just pretend if anything were true. Like if you could wave a magic wand, right. And like literally anything could be, what would you want to do? Like, would you want to enjoy a glass of wine or would you want to have the option to be able to, not that you'll take advantage of it, but you know, um, that was a bad choice of words. Um, like, I don't mean take advantage of as in do too much. I mean, like maybe you won't take yourself up on the offer, you know, but like just me, like, I know if I want to have alcohol, I can, I just know what I need to do to be able to do it. So that's the second, um, that's the second step. And then the third step is connecting them with the path of treatment, um, you know, helping them connect with, excuse me, the path of treatment that best aligns with their goals with alcohol And then just connecting them with every single resource that they need to accomplish their goals with alcohol, right? Um, Do do we require, you know, a certain doctor to prescribe something? Okay, well, here's my people because it's so hard to find a doctor who will prescribe you what you need. And trying to go to multiple different doctors is so discouraging when you are suffering from alcohol wreaking havoc in your life. And it's actually very dangerous because you kind of need what you need and you need it ASAP. Um, you know, what therapist is going to support you if you want therapy for me personally, 
I'm not the hugest believer in therapy. I mean, that's just me. I'm more about life coaching um, because that's where I've seen the most growth. Now, you know, if you have someone, a therapist who it really is good at their practice, they, they don't just practice in general sense. They very, they've specialized in a specific, um, they practice under a specific theory such as EMDR. Um, you take someone who has been sexually traumatized, especially as a child, um, talk therapy is so bad for that sort of, um, trauma, right. But you do EMDR. Oh my God, that therapy is like a miracle for that person. So, um, or what support group, uh, cause there's way more than just AA out there. <laughs> I have my own support group actually that I run, um, you know, and so I could go down the list of things, but what resources do you need to accomplish your goals with alcohol? And we write our own treatment plan, right? You go to any professional, they'll write it for you. I give the power back to that person. And then the fifth step is, it's just, you know, helping my clients truly forgive all of those who have caused them harm throughout their journey of fighting to heal. So that doctor who told me that I was trying to go through the back door for treatment or the doctor who tried to tell me that I was trying to be a doctor and treat myself or my therapist who fired me as a client, you know, just truly forgiving them. Like, you know, how do I truly, you know, forgive them? Um, and really at the end of the day, forgiveness, I mean, it's great. It's beautiful if it's for the other person, but really forgiveness is for us. So we don't become bitter and calloused. And I was for so many years towards all those people who denied me treatment. Um, it, you know, it was really, it was, it was really hard. And, um, and, but I was able to finally come to a place of truly forgiving, truly releasing them and truly just wanting to bless them, like just speak blessings, you know, onto them and tr not from like some place of, Oh, I'm trying that I got to say this. I got to think this way. No, a true transformation. Do I take my clients through, you know, again, not knocking on AA love you, AA <laughs> people love you out there. Um, but, you know, AI says we have to go make amends with who we've harmed. And I think that's that's very good. It's very biblical. The Bible says that if we know that we've offended our brother or sister, that we um, should go to them and we should leave our uh, worship at the altar and we should go make up with them. Very biblical. And I also know that, um, you know, the, the, the language and the messaging around someone who suffers from alcohol wreaking havoc in their lives is that, you know, like you said before, like that they're, they're selfish and that they just, they want to drink and, um, you know, now kind of getting back into what I was saying that they, you know, love alcohol more than their family and, you know, their kids or whatever. And the truth is, is that it's not their fault that they were born with disordered neurochemistry that causes them to do this in the first place. And so, you know, everybody who didn't know that truth and, um, you know, didn't help them in any way that they could, um, you know, you, you really do have to, I think, forgive. I think you do have to walk through, um, a process of forgiveness because the fact is, is that it hurts. It did hurt, you know? And so you do have to forgive, so anyways, I don't want my clients being calloused and bitter. Um, and if they are, I want to help get them out of it. Um, if they want to, you know, because I, I just know how that is. And you just walk around, you're calloused and bitter towards anybody who comes, yeah. you know, in your sphere. And so, 
that is the last step. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. And I love that you give them ex- resources, resources that pertain mm-hmm. to themselves, you know, what's mm-hmm. going to benefit and help them in their own path and journey to yeah. not drink or have the craving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you actually have a listener's gift. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. So it's called three ways to reclaim your power over alcohol. And if you go to crystalfidelity.com forward slash the number three ways to reclaim your power over alcohol. If you just type in your email, um, that link will be sent to you for you to get your complimentary download. It's a gift for me to you. And then also um, for your audience, I will open my schedule up for three complimentary breakthrough calls. Um, so I will be sure to uh, get you that link. I think I sent it to you. It's crystalfidelity.com forward slash breakthrough call. So yes. And I will have those links in the show notes. Um, are you also on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram? Yes, ma'am. I am. All right. And as um, Crystal Fidelity then. Yeah. Um, at Crystal Fidelity Ministries. Ministries. Ah, nice. Yeah. Love that. Well, is there anything else you would like to share with the audience? Last words? No, thank you so much for having me and for, you know, sharing your story. Um, I am so honored that you shared it with me and thanks for listening to my story. I know that we have a little bit of a different approach maybe, but I so appreciate that we were able to have this conversation. Oh yes, absolutely. As long as we're touching people that need to be touched the way that we're touching them, (laughs) sounds kind of (laughs) weird. Just to make a difference in their lives. That's all that matters. And that's, what's beautiful is that we're all different. So that way we can help different people that need different coaches. And I loved your approach too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Crystal. I want to give a shout out to Feedspot. They recognized my show as being on the 50 best women's sobriety podcasts. I'm super excited about that. And I couldn't have done it without you. I also want to introduce my new mini course. It is called Overcoming Challenges. So if you're having difficulty in everyday life with things happening that are unexpected or you're like, how do I handle this? I have the tool. (laughs) I will leave those links in the show notes. And if you are wanting to be part of my newsletter, make sure you text the word SHINE, that's S-H-I-N-E at 1855. 649-6196. Again, that's 1855-649-6196. Please make sure you leave a five-star review if this podcast is for you. Love you.